Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily Digest. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the founders of LSATdemon.com and our weekly podcast, Thinking LSAT. Here's what we talked about this week. Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Nathan Fox. With me today is Sam Fraser. Um, Sam, you got your your, uh, test from the September 2022 LSAT back today. Today is the score release date and you scored a what? I scored a 179. From a diagnostic of? 151 on my first official test. On your first official test. Okay. Do you remember a cold diagnostic at all? Yeah, I actually scored a diagnostic of 158. Can I say what led to a 151? It was a different test prep company. Now, we're we're not naming uh, other test prep companies. We, we bleep those out. But uh, sorry, say the diagnostic again. I got lost for a sec. Uh, I scored a diagnostic of 158. 158. Okay. And then down to a 151. Gotcha. And uh, so, yeah, total of uh, 28 point improvement between your 151 first official test and then your fourth official test, which was a 179. Um, Say a little bit about what that does for your prospects as an applicant. Uh, Well, I've my dream from the start was to go to a mid-tier law school. After studying with Adeem a little bit, I realized that I could probably do a little bit better than that. Maybe even go to free to a mid-tier law school. Who would have thought? Yep. Now my goal is to actually go into Yale at this point. Either <laughs> Yale, Stanford, Harvard. So yeah, I'd say there's a bit of a difference there. It's a huge difference. Um, do you have good undergrad grades? Yep. I have just under 4.0. Just under a 4.0. And yeah, I mean, a middling LSAT, you you would have just been selling yourself wildly short, Sam. And (laughs) I'm really glad that we got an opportunity to work with you because the sky's the limit. I mean, what what's the key difference in understanding that like, you know, what why does why did it work with us and it did not work elsewhere? Uh, Well, the first I think the only major thing I would say is gimmicks, I guess. it's This test should really, I think, be about teaching people to just use their common sense. Because let's be honest, 90% of the questions can be answered perfectly fine with just using your common sense and not getting wrapped up in, oh, no, this is the scary LSAT. I think if you apply that to it, your score is just going to instantly improve. Because if you're taking this test, you're probably smart enough to know what you're doing here. You don't need gimmicks kind of like mess you up and getting in the way of that. Can you give an example of a gimmick and how it was replaced? Sure. Reading the question first on logical reasoning and diagramming. Those are diagramming on logic games and also logical reasoning. Those are some of the biggest things I walked into LSAT even doing. And as soon as I stopped doing that, it was just a dramatic score improvement of up to like 10 points. So those are two separate things. So the first one, reading the question first on logical reasoning, you stopped doing that. And how did that change your performance on logical reasoning? Well, it kind of led into one of the other keystone of the demon philosophy is of predicting the answer. When I stopped thinking about, okay, what do I want to look for in this passage to answer this question? And instead looked at, well, what's wrong with this argument in the first place? And after I do that, after I figure that out, I can answer any question they're going to give me. Once I did that, it kind of attacked the argument a lot better. 
Yeah, you mentioned common sense. So how does common sense relate to that? Well, common sense tells you that this argument is terrible and that if you heard anyone in the streets or any politician making this argument, I can guarantee you, you would attack this argument knowing that it's wrong. And you wouldn't just think, oh, well, the LSAT says it, so I guess this makes sense. That's just not how it is in daily life. I think once people get out of that, this is a scary LSAT mindset, it becomes so much easier. Yeah. So then the second thing that you're saying is a gimmick that just didn't help you. And I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you think it actually diminished your ability to do the test. Yes. Uh, the reading the question first, <laughs> logical reasoning, which I agree. I hate it. Uh, the second thing was um, the diagramming on the games. And I think what you meant was diagramming the rules a lot. Yeah. So the dreaded C word, the contrapositives even on <laughs> logic games rules, everything, every rule I was diagramming. It was, I still remember arrows upon arrows upon arrows and dot, dot, dots, and all of that. Sure, it's helpful on your typical web game, but beyond that, it's so much easier just to do worlds and everything like that and just to ace the game in like under five minutes every time. Yeah. How could you explain worlds to someone who's never heard that idea before? What would you say? What is worlds? Worlds is, I suppose it's a method, but ultimately it's a concept, a strategy of making the game simpler. You're just playing a simpler game overall. You're just kind of eliminating the rules. Right. Related to common sense. Well, how would, if your boss put that on your table, what would you do with it? You wouldn't, okay, let me write this arrow to this arrow to this player. You wouldn't do that. You would design many scenarios and you would figure the game out. Use your common sense. You're going to figure the problem out. Just act like this is a real world scenario and just use your common sense. Yeah, it, like the 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 puzzles themselves, the logic games themselves are like, OK, well, we everybody has to be on either the tennis team or the golf team. And then there's some restrictions about if so and so is on the tennis team, then the other guy has to be on the golf team. And the super heavy handed way to do it is to write, you know, it's like this weird dogmatic way that. You never would have thought of, but then whatever LSAT prep you took taught you to to like, oh, if L's on the tennis team, then G has to be on the golf team. OK, so now if L, then G, then the contrapositive of that rule. And instead, in demon world, what would you do differently? Well, I would make scenarios where this is the case and this is not the case. It's what <laughs> yeah. I would do if I was presented with this problem at my job. In real life, you'd be like, well, OK, so L's either on tennis or golf. So I'll start with that. L could be on tennis. L could be on golf. And then what was the rule now? Oh, if L's on tennis, then so-and-so has to be on golf. Uh, OK. And then you would just write that in and you'd be done with it. You'd never have to think about it again because it would just be like two ways that L can be satisfied and you're moving on to the next rule. That's fantastic. Um, what else do you have to share with uh, listeners, viewers who are interested in making the kind of improvement that you made? Like I said, the biggest, it's just a philosophy. It's not learn this one simple trick. Doctors will hate it. It's not like that type of gimmicky <laughs> ad that you see everywhere. Yeah. It, it, which is ironic because it's all over the place in different test prep companies. It's, Use your common sense 
that even teachers here are going to help you understand how to use your common sense and to apply it. But ultimately, it's it's up to you. Just treat it like it's a, your daily, daily life. And it's not this scary test that determines your entire future. Yeah, I think fitness is just such a great, uh, you know, analogy. Like if you're going to have fitness, you, you don't need to do it 12 hours a day. And in fact, that's bad for you. And you just need to kind of chip away at it, right? You do a little bit every day if you can. Yep. You also don't need those um, influencer crazy workout videos where you do 10,000 different exercises and you move <laughs> your body parts in some weird way. Stick to the basics. <laughs> You're going to do so much better. I promise you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome, Sam. Uh, thanks for doing this. Um, I really appreciate it. We have an email here from Noah. Hello, Ben and Nathan. When I'm drilling, I get way more correct than I do incorrect. When I do section tests, I'm always almost always minus one to minus three in games and minus four to minus six in logical reasoning and reading comp. I have even done three section tests in a row with the standard 10 minute break between the second and third sections and do very well. However, when I do an actual practice test, I've gotten anywhere from minus 21 to minus 27. What am I missing here? How do I try and fix this massive jump in wrong answers? <laughs> Should be missing 15 max. I mean, missing 15 max when doing individual sections. Yeah. Wait, and then three section tests. But when I do an actual practice test. Wait, you are doing actual practice tests. When you do a three section test with a 10 minute break between two and three. That's fine. It's just as if your experimental section was fourth. It doesn't matter what happens in your experimental section. So what do you mean when I do an actual practice test? I wonder if Noah's working on like four section practice tests on Law Hub or something. I do. I wonder that and then sees the minus whatever total number because those two, <laughs> well, it L- is four sections. two LR sections are being graded in Law Hub. I wonder if that's true. It, <laughs> Is that the answer? Hold on a second. Minus six times three is minus 18. Plus a minus three from games is minus 21. And that gets into the range. (laughs) I mean, if it's four sections, let's let's assume that no one knows what the experimental section is and is not counting the experimental section. Yeah. (laughs) But if you are, that's part of your problem. That's a big part of your problem. Okay. Uh, Advice. I mean, if if it's so otherwise, if we understand Noah to mean I'm missing 21 to 27 on the three scored sections of an actual practice test. I don't know why that would be happening. I mean, you you are doing real tests. I, small sample. Final answer. I don't know. I think so. This first sentence, right? When I'm drilling, I get way more correct than I do incorrect. I think what's happening there for sure is, Noah, you're focusing on one question at a time. And maybe when you do sections, you're starting to think too much about the section as a whole. The other thing to keep in mind is when you're drilling, the drilling algorithm is giving you questions right above your skill level. So, yeah, maybe when you go do a time section, you're encountering harder questions. You know what one word is left out of Noah's second sentence? What? Timed. Is that untimed? Maybe. 
when I do section tests, I get minus section one to minus three in games three and minus four tests. to minus six. Well, he calls them section tests at the beginning, which is I mean, I guess scene means tests by section. But are you timing yourself? <laughs> I mean, and are you timing yourself realistically? Remember that, Ben? People like cheat on the timing. It's kind of crazy to think about that, but I remember well, yeah, what was that? We or? yeah, they're like, well, so I give myself a couple extra minutes sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. To think <laughs> about the game, to think about it. <laughs> that's I paused it for a minute to think about it. Well, okay, if you're doing that, that's confounding for sure. Boy, I don't know, Noah. You got to ask us more specific questions. We just recorded an episode of Thinking LSAT podcast where we talked to like every correspondent almost about focusing more on one thing at a time. Yeah. You're trying to do the entire section at once. You need to do one section at a time. One question at a, you're doing worse on full tests than you are on timed sections. That's because you're trying to do the whole test at once. Yeah. Think about one question at once. Just do the whole thing. Like you're drilling, just get them yeah. right. Yeah. And don't worry about the time run out of time. Guess at the end, we don't care. You're not, you're nowhere near perfect on logical reasoning and reading comps. So you have no business trying to finish the sections. You need to slow down and you need to focus on one question that you don't understand rather than these numbers about minus three, minus four, minus six, minus 21. What, what one, let's do one of them. No, which one did you get wrong? Figure it out. If you don't understand it, hit the ask button. You got it. I've been studying for the LSAT since early August and began using the demon shortly thereafter. I listen to the daily podcast every day on my commute, and I love the insights and tips you share. I find I always finish an episode and can't wait to go to attack a new section or drill to apply what I've learned! Exclamation point. All right. Glad we're reaching you. Thanks. I know you've touched on this in a few episodes and classes, but I wanted to see if you could give a summary of your best tips for diagramming and logic games. Oh boy. I'm killing my reading comp and logical reasoning drills, but the games seem to always stump me. I get hung up on whether I am doing my diagrams and deductions right and end up going so slowly I can't finish half the games. It's really hurting my practice test scores, typically scoring 11 to 14 correct out of 23, and I know I need to tighten up my strategy I've tried using the timer on my phone during my most recent practice test to better pace myself. And that helped. No, it didn't. But I know I won't have this option during the actual test. Any ideas? I mean, you did better on your most recent practice test, Anonymous, because you've been studying. And eventually studying pays off. It's either that or random chance, but it's not the phone timer like like that's the exact opposite of what we always teach. We just never, ever pay attention to the time. Wait, wait, hold on one second here. So anonymous says that he or she is a perfectionist. Hmm. Maybe, maybe in this odds case, the timer helped anonymous let go of this perfectionist tendency to look for the perfect diagram, whereas you just have to get accept the mindset that your job is to solve the puzzle. However you solve it is fine. Yeah, just do it. Just solve it. Just I don't like thinking, obsessing about the perfect diagram. It it doesn't matter. I mean, like, OK, you're putting things in order. Should you do that from left to right or should you do that from top to bottom? Just on your do diagram. It. 
Just do it. I tend yeah. to do it left to right, but that's okay. If you want to do it vertically, it may it make no sense. difference. Yeah. It just makes no difference. You just ha- like do what you would do if this was your job and you had to figure out this, you know, if you were actually organizing this clown convention and you had to figure out which clowns were going to wear, which outfit, what would you do? Yeah. yeah. How would you do it? Just do yeah. it. Just figure it out. These pro- they're, they're not that hard of puzzles. But people get so obsessed. They they read an LSAT book and now they think that all their diagrams have to look exactly like that. And that's just not. I mean, I've been teaching lately the way I teach games now in my classes is I have the students um, submit their scratch paper, upload a picture of their sure. scratch paper. Yeah. There are like there'll be like five different people who all nailed it and all five of the diagrams look totally different. Yeah. So it's, you know, you got to definitely got to let go of that perfectionism. Okay. Good luck. Hopefully that helps. Yeah. I mean, tips wise, you just need to keep practicing. You need, you need to like, I wouldn't give you tips for diagramming. Instead, I would just give you a game, see what you do. And then I would, you know, if you're in class, you can show me what you did and I could look at it and I could tell you whether I thought that was good or bad or give you some pointers. but if you're self-studying, all you need to do is just watch a little bit of Ben's video, watch a little bit of my video, see what we're doing, and then hit pause and then work on it on your own. Yep. Get a clue and then go. And just improvise rather than focusing so much on perfect diagramming techniques. You'll learn the diagramming techniques just from doing a whole bunch of games. Yep. But stop thinking so much on about theory. Stop thinking so much about perfection and instead just like do whatever it takes to solve that puzzle one way or the other. We have a short email here from Tyler. I know you guys talk about getting full rides to law school, but I was wondering what the chance of getting into a law school is when you are at both their medians. Well, we were just talking (laughs) about this on another episode of LSAT Demon Daily. We're laughing because we record these things back to back. Um, we were just looking at LSD.law and looking at the um, individual school reports that are available on LSD.law. You got to take these reports with a little bit of a grain of salt simply because they are all user generated data. There's obviously going to be some trolls in here, you know, 4.3180 denial. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, the the majority uh, of these data points seem to be valid uh, and they indicate pretty damn clearly that if you're at the median for both LSAT and GPA, it's going to be real hard for them to reject you. At least at the, at some of the, you know, we're, we've only been looking at a few of these schools so far, but I've still got the wash U chart up. And it's like, can I find anybody who was at or above both their LSAT and GPA and didn't get admitted? Not not just straight denials. I don't think I see one of them. Yeah. In fact, I'm not sure I see any denials if you're above their... I'm seeing like one GPA above their 50th that got denied. And that was a real low LSAT. Waitlisted, slightly different story. You know, there are a few people who are above on one uh, or the other of LSAT and GPA. What do you think, Ben? 0% to 100%. If you're okay. at, exactly at the median, 
For both. For both. I'd say 95% chance. 95% chance. I agree. The, the thing is it, 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 it will potentially be different next year. Yep. Because their median could be one point higher. And if their median is one point higher and now all of a sudden you're below, uh, especially if you're below their LSAT median, we see lots of denials that are one point below their LSAT median. And so <laughs> I would say you've got a real good chance of getting admitted if you're at the median for both. But the second you're barely below, you you know, it's dicey. So I think the thing you want to do is just not be at their median. You want to try to be higher than their median. And then they become slam dunk admit, admit, admittances. Yeah. And it looks like both people who are above their median for GPA or LSAT are likely to get in, even if they're below on the other one. But that seems to be even more true for LSAT. So if you're above their median on LSAT, um, consider yourself accepted. Oh, yeah. At, at Wash U, it's real hard to find denials where you're above their LSAT median. I mean, I see I see some wait lists, mostly Though, in fact, exclusively people who are below their their median on GPA. Mm -hmm. And then I see one person who got denied with a real high LSAT, but a super low GPA. When you say super low? 2.4. 2.4. That is super low. Yeah, that's a 177, but a 2.4. And that got denied last year at WashU. But otherwise, looking at the denials, I mean, it's it's hard to find denials that are above their 50th percentile. I wonder what happened here. Puck 912 had an LSAT of 172 and a GPA of 3.74. I mean, that is a GPA below their median pretty significantly. And the LSAT is, you know, a point higher than the median. But that one actually got denied. Then again, who knows? We don't know when they applied. We don't know how shitty the rest of their application was. I mean, there could be lots of good reasons why that person got denied. Yeah, but trends are what matter, right? And the trends here are above LSAT, median, good to go. No, I mean, there's a whole line of people here who 172, 3.29, you're in. 172, 3.24, you're in. 172, 3.0, you're in. 2.9, you're in. 2.75, you're in. And they're all 172s. <laughs> so basically it yeah. says, you got the 172, we don't give a fuck what your GPA is. Yeah, they That's are That's what this chart says to me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There's just, it is very heavily weighted to people who are above their median um, LSAT and GPA, but especially LSAT. I mean, this is Wash U. We know they're playing the game yeah. very, very uh, aggressively. So may not be true elsewhere, but yeah. Awesome. Um, thanks for writing in Tyler. I hope that's helpful. I do think you're asking the wrong question. You know, you, you don't, you just don't want to be getting into schools. Yep. You, you want to be getting scholarships to schools. And, uh, I suppose if your folks are billionaires or if uncle Sam's going to pay for it because of GI bill or something like that, then maybe you care less, but most people just shouldn't be thinking about getting in. They need, they need to be thinking about the scholarship. We have an email here from Ryan. It says, this recent ask button question might make for a good Demon Daily or TLP topic. Basically, oh, I think Eric sent this to us. Yeah, Basically, I just read Ryan from the wrong thing. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Thanks. 
Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Basically, when are you hypercritical of a vague word like many? And when do you accept its intended meaning? And then if we wanted, we could also discuss some, most, and almost all. Let me see if I can read this exact uh, ask button question. Uh, the, the specific ask button question. I've taken LSAT courses before that tell you, quote, few and, quote, many can mean the same. These other courses call them logical quantifier terms. <laughs> what do you think about that? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's too much focusing on these terms. I, I have an answer to this question. It depends. Well, it depends, but there is going to be an order here. And that is first and always read it as you're just common sense, natural reading. The only time it matters is when you think it's significant in the conclusion, right? If they're saying something and the conclusion says many or few, and it seems pertinent to the argument, like the argument is about the quantity, then I'm going to get hyper-focused on that and be like, really? Is it many? What was the evidence for that? Yes or no? But if the argument's issue is something else, then why get all tied up in this? But people do because these courses talk about these words so much that as you're reading the argument, you can't do anything but think about the meaning of the word and, oh gosh, what does that mean? It's and they're getting you're getting distracted from the core issue. Yeah, um, I was just looking at a, a very similar question yesterday, you know, where mm. one, somebody wrote in on the ask button. Um, would and will are absolute, whereas could and can indicate the ability to do something. And I don't think either of these words are indicative of certainty or probability. And it turned out to be a question where. There was not a written explanation. So I went through and wrote a full written explanation. The answer was predictable from attacking the argument. None of the other four answer choices were any good at all. They did not come close to answering the question. I wrote a full explanation. The student who had been worrying about would and will and how that's different from could and can. None of that shit even came up when I wrote my explanation. And the student wrote back right away and said that my explanation made perfect sense. And she totally understand, understood why the right answer is right. And her analysis was, I need to get better at predicting the answers to these questions. Yeah, which comes down to her ability to analyze the validity of the argument, right? Which sometimes does hinge on the difference between can and will. But unless it does, don't worry about it. It's just you got to stay on the big picture thing first. Absolutely. What's their argument? What are they trying to conclude? What's their evidence for that? Why is it bullshit? And if you can nail that part of it, then there's just only one answer that's even close to correct. And you don't have to get into all this weird minutia about the exact definitions of words, because, again, it's just always going to be. It depends. People get so hyper focused on one word and, it, and then they lose. They just lose sight of. Hey, the argument was dumb. Here's why it's dumb. That's the answer. Why are we getting so weirdly focused on these like technicalities that have nothing to do with the big picture here? Yeah. And that might be from other bad LSAT prep that you've seen before where people are talking about what was that? Oh. New 
numerical quantifier words or whatever. I mean, sometimes what happens is an argument does suck because the conclusion says, oh, therefore, Joey will do this. Yeah. And the evidence was only that Joey could do that. Yeah. And so then we start talking. We're like, jump all over that. We're like, oh, shit. Why did he say will? All we know is that Joey can. Right. And so then they extrapolate from that. Oh, I better watch out for the difference between can and will. And it's like, yes, if that's yeah. what the conclusion is about. But if the conclusion is about something else, who cares that they yeah. even bring up those it's, words? It's very similar to how students will sometimes shy away from the word only. Mm. They've gotten burned before where they have chosen an answer that says the word only. Mm. And the reason why it's wrong is because the word only in that context specifies a necessary condition, not a sufficient condition. And so they 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 misunderstand the conditional and that's why they miss the question. And then from that, they extrapolate. Oh, so answers that have the word only are wrong. Yeah. And it's like, no, (laughs) that answer is wrong because of the word only. But the reason why it's wrong because of the word only is because it's misplaced, like reading the entire answer. I could rewrite that answer using the word only and make it correct. It's not the word only that just like always made it wrong. It's that you're just not understanding what the whole thing means. The word only within the context of that sentence and that (laughs) sentence within the context of the argument. Yeah. I mean, this is also why we so strongly advocate studying by doing one question at a time and understanding that question, because then you can learn about these words in context and not in the abstract. Yeah. Which is what really throws people off. Yeah. And just to to nail down that point about only, I mean, if I were to say, uh, if you're in San Francisco, you are only in the state of California, that would be correct. If I said, if you're in California, you can only be in the city of San Francisco, that would be obviously incorrect. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you need to understand the context of the whole the whole statement, people just, it's like every single class. I see people who are just so narrowly looking at one word and it's good because yeah, it's lawyer shit and you do need to like be interested and, you know, um, rigorous uh, about the way you use your words. But these questions are almost entirely answerable based on real big picture stuff. Oh, yeah. We're just going back to what we said at the beginning. Understand the big picture and only zoom in if that's the pertinent issue or seems to be at issue. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then we come back to this. It always just depends. You know, I mean, there there are many times where like there's a difference between how I uh, how I deal with an answer the first time I read it versus how I would deal with that same answer the second time I read it if I didn't find any other correct answer. Sure. You're going right? to be a little like more f- forgiving. Yeah. A, a lot more forgiving, right? I mean, the first time through, I'm just like, I'm just so quick to pull the trigger. No, 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 no. And sometimes I eliminate all five and then I go, uh, okay, so let me take a little longer. I'm still going through going, nope, nope. Oh, I see this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I thought that few there just meant some, but in the context that they were indicating it, they, they meant fewer. 
Yeah. Like they, they really were trying to say, because yeah, few can mean a million. It's all depends on what <laughs> you think a lot is. If you're a billionaire, right. Yeah. You, you might peel off a few dollars for a vacation home in Hawaii. Ah, that's a couple million, you know, that's yeah. few to that, to a billionaire. So it's just context is always everything. And you really do have to dig in there catching the whole meaning of it. Yeah. Then when you go back through, you know, because there's only one answer that can possibly be right. And so if you're like having this weird technical quibble over the only answer that could possibly be correct, you know, like the other four answers are just complete whiffs. Yeah. And this one answer you're having a weird quibble about. Well, okay, noted. It's good that you had that quibble. That's not a problem. That's awesome. That's great that you're like critical. That's yeah. great. But the test makers intended one of the answers to be perfectly correct. And so maybe you need to reinterpret so that you can see how that answer is actually correct instead of wrong. Yeah. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.